Newsmax has been told by senior intelligence officials in the United States government that there is a 40 percent chance that Vladimir Putin will use a nuclear weapon on Ukraine, and it could happen soon. A 40 percent chance. That is really, really high and very, very disturbing, obviously. And it looks like Putin is being backed into a corner. I don't like Putin, but he's running out of options. And what will he do? 40 percent. How do we find ourselves in this position? How? Why did he invade Ukraine in the first place? I think there were three key moments that led to his decision to go in. Number one, in the summer of 21, he met with Joe Biden in Switzerland. And take a look at Joe. Take a look. Does that look like a, a skilled negotiator? No, it doesn't. I think Vladimir made an assessment of Joe and thought, this is my chance. That's what I believe. Also, the entire world saw the debacle of our withdrawal from Afghanistan. Again, did that show strength or weakness? Did that show uh, an administration with its act together or one engulfed in chaos? I think this was a major, major signal. And then Joe Biden actually himself gave conflicting, confusing signals, maybe not even so confusing. Was this a green light? He said this just before the invasion. I'm not so sure he has uh, is certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. He has to do something. Remember when Trump said, don't do it, Kim Jong-un. You will see fire and fury like no one has ever seen. My guess is he's going to have to do it. He's got to do something. And he did. Russia moved in to Ukraine and pulverized parts of that country and have committed numerous atrocities. Horrible, horrible things have happened in Ukraine because of this Russian invasion. For a while there, they were celebrating. They celebrated way too early because the Ukrainian pushback has been amazing. It has shocked the world with its effectiveness, and they have taken back key territory, key cities. But that brings us back to Putin, who's running out of options. He is isolated. He's alone. He is panicking. He declared martial law in four parts of Ukraine. Russia can confiscate property, confiscate homes, force people into military service, force Ukrainians into the Russian army. That may be the policy on paper. I don't think it's going to work. He's running out of options. Now, in some regard, Joe Biden has been, well, look, he's kept them well-funded. The Ukrainians, lots of equipment going over there. That's good. But some of this rhetoric, I think he's gone too far. And it's Putin, it's Vladimir Putin who is to blame, period. Putin has shattered peace in Europe and attacked the very, very tenets of rule-based order. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. Well, that sounds great. That's tough, tough stuff. But he's not leaving Putin many options, is he? Or the world. So take a look at this. Putin's by himself. He's cut off. He's isolated. And how does he get out of this? Now, 
Have you ever heard of Sun Tzu? <laughs> Sun Tzu was an ancient Chinese uh, warrior slash philosopher, and he wrote a very important book centuries ago that is still studied in military academies all over the world, The Art of War. And there's a very compelling quote in here, many, but take a look at this. Build your opponent a golden bridge to retreat across. You have to leave your opponent some options. It looks like we're not doing that. And his only option may be the nuclear button. I mean, of course it's not, but is that what he's thinking? Joe Biden got us into this mess and nobody's talking about peace. Nobody. I'd like to see a settlement, maybe. Um, I want Ukraine to get all that stuff back, but what did John Lennon say? Give peace a chance. Yes, I know, it's corny, yes, I know, but no one has been talking about peace. Now, there are some positive things that have been happening. Of course, we are so amazed and thrilled by what Ukraine has done and the, the boldness, the bravery of the people. Nobody likes uh, Vladimir Putin, and countries around the world have taken note. You know. China, at one point, it looked like they were weeks away from invading Taiwan. Well, they see what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, how Putin is now a pariah. I don't think President Xi wants that. And no one seems to think right now that an invasion of Taiwan is imminent. So a 40 percent chance, a 40 percent chance. Let's pray that this does not happen. If that happens, everything changes. And maybe what Joe Biden, when he was mouthing off the other day, he was onto something. He said, Armageddon, we're close to Armageddon. By the way, look at him. Look at him. We're close to Armageddon, inflation out of control, got all the problems we have. And he's, you know what he's doing? We've noticed he's licking and lying his way through his presidency. Just lies and licks, tells lies and licks that ice cream cone. Uh, he was doing that today. Uh, let's debunk some myths here. My administration has not stopped or slowed U.S. oil production. Quite the opposite. Oh, man. This is what he does. He lies. He lies. He lies. He lies. Let's go through it. We got 57 things he did. Here are the highlights. Suspends oil and gas leases on public lands and waters. In his first month in office, on his first day in office, he stopped the Keystone Pipeline. Next, please. Uh, he suspended drilling licenses in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Hello. He urged the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, to investigate U.S. oil and gas. In February of this year, he halted oil gas leases amid legal fight on the climate coast. What else? Demanded higher taxes, fees on U.S. oil and gas. This stuff doesn't help. Biden administration cancels Alaska oil and gas lease sale. He cut acreage for drilling by 80 percent. No drilling on 30 percent of federal lands water by 2030. They have offered fewer acres for oil and gas drilling less than any other administration since the end of World War II. Now, I will give this to Joe Biden. All these things he did, he actually said he would do. Number one. No more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. Number one. Wow. Yeah, he was pretty thorough. And he got up real close to some girl he liked on the campaign trail and said the same thing. I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, 
we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate with you, okay? Wow. And what did he say just a matter of hours ago? Uh, let's debunk some myths here. My administration has not stopped or slowed U.S. oil production. Quite the opposite. He is a liar. He's been doing it ever since he, I guess, when he was a child. I mean, this is deep stuff. This is, this is congenital, I think, right? And, oh, he seems to really resent oil companies. It's very easy to badmouth corporate America. And he, I think, actually envies them. Listen to this. We're going to make sure that everybody knows Exxon's profits. Why don't you tell them what Exxon's profits were this year, this quarter? Exxon made more money than God this year. Yeah, he wants some of that money. There's something kind of, there's an avarice to his tone. And let's talk about ExxonMobil. I have no beef with Exxon. I don't. I go to the gas station. It was always there. It was cheap. It was no big deal. The gas station's clean. They've got a Tiger Mart for food. I have no problem with Exxon. I got a problem with this administration. And let's meet the uh, CEO of ExxonMobil. His name is Darren Woods. You know what? He earned his way. He worked his way up the ladder. Started at Exxon when he was 28 years old, went to Texas A&M, got a degree in engineering. There are 63,000 people who work at Exxon, and this guy made it to the top. Good for him. Joe Biden, meanwhile, what does he know about the private sector? Huh? He spent two years, two years after law school before becoming a city councilman, and two years after that, a United States senator. Now, this guy is lecturing private industry about how to do their job. I'm with Exxon, not Joe, because this guy is a liar. This is when I first actually became aware of Joe Biden. It was in 1987, right around when he had to quit the presidential campaign in disgrace because he was caught lying and plagiarizing. Do you feel you're able to control, to put in the vernacular of your mouth, that you can think before you talk? Well, I've been in this business for 15 years. Um, and uh, I, uh, um, I let my record of 15 years versus the transgression that you're referring to uh, stand, and you can make you all can make that judgment. I feel very capable of uh, using my mouth and sync with my mind. They were asking him this question when he was in his 40s, his mid 40s. Do you think you can think before you can talk? That's 30 years ago. We are in trouble. We are in big trouble, but hope is on the way. Less than three weeks before the midterms, and I don't think he makes it another year. We'll be right back. Crime is number one issue in America. Something else that Joe is ignoring. We'll be right back. Look at this pandemonium lawlessness. I haven't seen this kind of chaos since I was in Iraq. A bunch of guys riding around on motorcycles, taunting police officers. This happened recently in Philadelphia. Also in Philadelphia, remember that Wawa situation where they just went in and took everything and trashed the place? It's happening all over the place at uh, convenience stores. Oh, Los Angeles, across the country. About a thousand people destroyed the place, took whatever they wanted. Uh, law enforcement was powerless, really, to respond 
Now, these are big. What about the small one-man jobs? They're happening all the time. Look at this. This is something that everybody has to worry about in New York, being followed and being attacked and robbed. It happens right there. You can see the struggle. And this guy runs off with what? A wallet? A cell phone? By the way, if I see you and you're wearing a mask, I am going the other way. Uh, it is that kind of mask. And now we've authorized it, right? Who wears a mask other than the bad guy, right? In American history, bad guys wear masks. You know how this all started? It started in the brain of a guy named Barack Obama. Oh, yes, it did. So Barack becomes president, what, in 2009. And guess what happens in the black community? Not too much. The declines continue. He doesn't do much for them. The prosperity that he promised doesn't come. So he starts playing the race card, and people start playing the race card for him. Black Lives Matter was born in the aftermath of Trayvon Martin. Remember Trayvon? Yeah, Trayvon Martin. We've been told so many myths about this case. And it started with Barack Obama himself. You know, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. And, um, you know, I think they are right to expect that all of us as Americans uh, are going to take this with the seriousness it deserves and that we're going to get to the bottom of exactly what happened. I actually see no resemblance between Barack Obama and Trayvon Martin. Do you? I don't know. I don't see it. And Trayvon Martin turned out was, uh, well, a gangbanger. And he was in a lot of trouble in that community. And a jury found that George Zimmerman was only defending himself. Verdict, we the jury find George Zimmerman not guilty. So say we all four person. How about the president making those comments? And I think he's not supposed to do that. Isn't that prejudicial? Couldn't that impact the jury? Anyway, facts be damned, Black Lives Matter started and started to thrive in the aftermath of Trayvon Martin. It's actually in their founding charter. Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013 in response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's. They call him a murderer, but he wasn't. And then they were just off and running. Anything that they could emotionalize and uh, maybe gain some power and money. Michael Brown, another myth. All right. Michael Brown was a bad boy. He tried to steal the gun from the cop. Okay. And well, you know what happened. He was killed. It was considered a justified use of force. And Ferguson burned. And everybody talked about racial justice and atoning for wrongs of the past. But Nobody really looked at the facts, and nobody, nobody ever saw uh, Michael Brown abuse that shop owner, shoplift from him, and then beat him up and walk out. This is just a little while before he got into the confrontation with the cop. Barack Obama, for a good chunk of his presidency, when it was convenient, when he could achieve more power and status, just loved playing the race card. Senator Obama, how do you address those who say you're not authentically black enough? <laughs> hey, well, not my question. Jordan's question. You know, uh, when I'm catching a cab in Manhattan uh, in the past, uh, I think uh, I, I've given my credentials. 
I, when he was running for president, this comment always bothered me. I don't know if he's familiar with New York cabs. I think he, I think he has a chip on his shoulder when it comes to race because the cab drivers in New York are universally very hardworking, and 95% of them are from other countries. They're people of color, and for a comment like that, but yeah. He does have a chip on his shoulder when it comes to race. You can read it in his books, the many books about him, the many books about him, and the latest book that he wrote about himself, Promised Land. You know, he went through it a while back and found all the references to black people and white people. And uh, when it came to white people, it was always negative, quite frankly. You know, a white man who just didn't get it or talking about white flight, white people and their prejudices, but when it came to black people, it was always, always positive. Many So it's right there, it's right there. And the emotionalism, the sensationalism, it continued for political power and money, and it went into overdrive with George Floyd. Man, so many lies have been told about this case. Now, I wish George Floyd was alive, obviously, and that was one gruesome video. But I also wish the mainstream media and our political leaders shared with us the facts, like this autopsy, this autopsy that revealed that he had an enormous amount of fentanyl and methamphetamine in his system, perhaps enough to kill him. Also, that there was no evidence of asphyxiation. This is the first autopsy. No physical findings that support a diagnosis of traumatic asphyxia or strangulation. Mr. Floyd had underlying health conditions, including coronary heart disease. The combined effects of any potential intoxicants in his system likely contributed to his death. And nobody ever actually talks about that the cops were trying to help him at one point. They put him... First, they don't think he should be driving because he appears to be under the influence. So they approach the car. This is the first thing. It wasn't so much the $20 bill. It was they were concerned that this guy was drunk. Everybody said that he was totally out of it. When they try to arrest him and put him in the patrol car, he has a panic attack. Hear that? You hear that? It's tough to listen to, but he says, I want to be on the ground. Lay me on the ground. Lay me on the ground. He couldn't handle it in the back of the car, so they put him on the ground. And it's horrifying. It is horrifying. It's also deeply disturbing to know that Officer Chauvin there may have been following Minneapolis Police Department procedure. Yeah, take a look. We found it in the patrol handbook. This is an authorized maneuver, a neck restraint, non-deadly force option defined as compressing one or both sides of a person's neck with an arm or leg. That's in there. I didn't write it. It shouldn't be written. I think they, take, they took it out, but it was there. But nobody wanted to hear about any of this because there was too much money to be made and too much power to be taken back. The protest started. All right. They were some people thought they were beautiful. Having lived in a neighborhood that was overrun and there was looting, I didn't like them. I didn't like them at all. It was a horrible, horrible scene. And the media, political leaders just glossed over all of this. And who took it on the chin? Who bore the brunt of this? The cops. The cops. I mean, the abuse they took. And who remembers the defund movement? It's still out there, but in 2020, defunding the cops, it was all about that.
I'm asking you to ask yourself, what are you willing to sacrifice to make sure that overfunded police departments are defunded? Suck it up. Defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police. Mayor Eric Garcetti saying, take some of the money from policing, about $150 million. I applaud Eric Garcetti for doing what he's done. Funding isn't necessarily as aggressive as... All right, so... uh, They did some research, the Democrats, and after this stuff, after the summer settled down, they realized that the American people don't like the idea of defunding the police. So they rearranged their talking points, threw money at a problem that actually lack of money wasn't the problem. And now what does Joe say? When it comes to public safety in this nation, the answer is not defund the police. It's fund the police. This is just from a focus group. That's all it is. This is focus group politics. One more. We should all agree the answer is not to defund the police. It's to fund the police. Fund them. Fund them. So before George Floyd died, police departments weren't complaining about a lack of funding. They were, they're basically, that's not the issue. What is the issue now is their delegitimization, that they can be at a gas station and guys driving around them in a motorcycle and that's considered okay somehow. This was so unnecessary and it was so artificial not too long ago, 10 years ago, New York City was the safest city anywhere anywhere. And Mike Bloomberg and a guy I know, Ray Kelly, uh, they took what Giuliani did and they made it even better. Take a look at this. The New York City Police Department, overwhelming approval from whites, black people, Hispanic. Can you imagine a politician with these kinds of approval numbers? No, no. They broke it. They pretended it was broken. Then they pretended to fix what wasn't broken. And now they've managed to actually break it. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about these maniac mayors, activists, nutjob district attorneys. But relief, relief is on the way. We got to get out and vote. Please, lives literally depend on it. We'll be right back. The fake news just doesn't get it, do they? And the fake news, because they lean left, they really like this guy, Congressman Patrick Maloney. He's in charge of the DCCC, the Democratic Campaign Congressional Committee. He's the guy who's supposed to get all the Democrats elected. He's in charge of the fundraising, even though he's a member himself and he's running for re-election. I'm very gratified because it looks like he might lose. And here's why I don't like him. Look, you can be a Democrat. That's fine. It's, I, I mean, I, I, I don't like you on the issues, but I can like you as a person. This guy is so nasty. I remember this during the impeachment, phony impeachment number one, Ukraine. He laid into that poor Gordon Sondland. Remember him? This was a horrible, horrible display. Who would benefit from an investigation of the Bidens? They're two different questions. I, I, I'm just asking you one. Who would benefit from an investigation of the Bidens? I assume President Trump would benefit. There we have it. See? <laughs> Didn't hurt a bit, did it? 
Didn't hurt a bit. But let me ask you something. Mr. Maloney. Hold on, sir. Excuse me. I've been very forthright, and I really resent what you're trying to Fair do. Fair enough. You've been very forthright. This is your third try to do so, sir. Didn't work so well the first time, did it? We had a little declaration come in after. Remember that? And now we're here a third time, and we got a doozy of a statement from you this morning. There's a whole bunch of stuff you don't recall. So all due respect, sir, we appreciate your candor, but let's be really clear on what it took to get it out of you. Yeah. Nasty. That whole thing was so phony, so unbelievably phony. And this guy's going to lose. I hope. It's looking that way. There's a guy named Michael Lawler, a state lawmaker, Republican, who's uh, running against. This is in uh, uh, the Hudson Valley of New York State, by the way. And it would be just great. Oh, who's that? E. Jean Carroll. How did she get on the screen? Well, let's talk about her for a moment. She made a crazy accusation against Donald Trump that she sexually assaulted, that he sexually assaulted her in the dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman. It is totally, totally preposterous. Makes absolutely no sense. There is absolutely no evidence. And she is crazy. I mean, watch this. The word rape carries so many sexual connotations. This was not, this was not sexual. It just, it, it hurt. It just, what, it just, you know. Well, I think most people think of rape as a, I mean, it is a violent assault. It is not. I think most people rape. think of rape as being sexy. Mm. Let's take a short break. Think of the fantasies. Mm. We're just going to take a quick break. If you can stick around, we'll talk more on the other side. You're fascinating to talk to. Yeah, and then they threw the commercial break right away because they knew she was a lunatic. Yet, they had to depose President Trump today about this insane person's accusations. And that is awful. It's un-American, or maybe it is. Maybe frivolous lawsuits are what America's about. I don't know. Oh, Stacey Abrams. Not only is she pro-choice, she's pro-abortion. I mean, she likes it. She thinks it's good for you. Good for you economically. But while abortion is an issue, it nowhere reaches the level of interest of voters in terms of the cost of gas, food, bread, milk, things like that. What can a governor, what could you do as governor to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters about those livability, daily, hourly issues that they're confronted with? But let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. Okay, not good. And it looks like she's going to lose to Brian Kemp. And it looks like Democrats are going to lose all over the place. Uh, this is in the New York Times today. Who do you plan to vote for in November? 49%, according to the New York Times, they're Republicans. 45% for Democrats. It's looking very, very good for sane people. We'll be right back. Well, that is Doug Mastriano, back when he was an active duty soldier with the U.S. Army. Looks like a very tough guy in the war zone. But he can also be a very nice guy. Take a look. Uh, an outreach to uh, children. Children. We'll find out more about this. But he was in for 30 years, then entered the 
Pennsylvania State Senate, and he is the Republican nominee for governor of Pennsylvania. Uh, and we're thrilled to have him with us tonight. Um, Colonel Mastriano, Senator Mastriano, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? It is great to be with you. Just got uh, off of a, a big hit with a lot of people. Everywhere we go, Greg, I mean, we're in Democrat areas of the state and we're getting out record crowds. It's fantastic. Well, I know you've been lied about a lot, and that has frustrated me immensely. Uh, I want to talk about your record in a moment. But first, what's wrong with the guy you're running against, Josh Shapiro? He is our attorney general and has been so for six years. And so his one job is to enforce the law. In Pennsylvania, let me tell you a little story about him here. Uh, crime has gone up nearly uh, 40% on his watch. So it's almost, for instance, Philadelphia, when he came into office in 2016, had 277 homicides. It had 462 last year, on, rec on track to have 600 this year. Uh, we're fourth highest in fentanyl deaths. We have a problem with sex trafficking. Josh Shapiro does not care about any of that. I mean, lawlessness, we saw Wawa a couple weeks ago with a bunch of, you know, 30 kids showing up doing $10,000 damage, a shooting at a football game outside of Philly. Uh, in Philly, we have a drug crisis, you know, a gang crisis. And uh, it, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, if you're better off, Josh, if you're safer, Josh Shapiro is your guy. But obviously, he's failed. And, and Greg, the irony is this gentleman tweeted the other day. Josh Shapiro goes, we have a crime problem. I need to do something about it. No kidding, dude. Where you been for the past six years? Do your job. <laughs> well, and along comes you. Uh, you shocked some people when you got that nomination. I, I don't know necessarily you were the favorite from the beginning, but you got it, and you've got some momentum at your back. Do me a favor. Tell me how the military prepared you for politics, or did it? Wow. So in the military, as you know, you know, there's honor and integrity. So politics is a pretty alien world for most veterans. But I would say the job that did the best in preparing me for these challenges is, is you know, first off, just generally in the Army serving the country. But my four years in NATO, really daunting to navigate this multinational environment. When I was in Afghanistan the third time, I led a group of about 80 men and women from 18 different countries. And to navigate, you know, all the different issues and languages and cultural differences and what have you within such an organization there was really daunting. But I think it really showed me that politics is really, as Benjamin Franklin said, the art of the possible. So you can't always get, you know, completely what you want, but work your way towards the goal there and you'll have ultimate victory in the end. It, you first caught my attention when um, I noticed the fake news lying about you a lot. Now, active duty soldiers, I was active duty Marine, you worked at the War College, active duty Army, Civil War reenactments are part of the syllabus, and you participated in uh, at least one that I know of, probably more, and the fake news was all over you. Go ahead and uh, roll that uh, fake news freakout tape, please. Republican candidate for governor in Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano, got caught with his extremism showing, this time mugging in a Confederate uniform. We are not making this up. The Trump-endorsed state senator is facing backlash again, this time for a newly uncovered photo obtained by Reuters. It's a photo of him posing in a Confederate uniform while working at the Army War College in 2014. Okay, they fail to mention that you are standing with people on active duty in uniform. There are soldiers representing the North also and the South. And that these kinds of reenactments have been going on for decades with people from all political persuasions. Uh, tell us a little bit about what happened and how you feel about that reaction. 
I guess the lesson is never dress up like a Democrat. As simple as that. (laughs) (laughs) But it was essentially, I mean, this is what you were an instructor at the Army War College. I mean, there is a lot. We don't just we don't just fire weapons at the Army War College. You know, we study history and reenactments. We went to the battle of uh, we went to the Gettysburg battlefield when I was a lieutenant at TBS. We spent three days there. It's just a distraction. These people are grasping at straws. They, they, they make crap up. They, they make a mountain out of a molehill. Uh, Gettysburg is just down. That, and that picture was, was actually not at the War College. It was at the Army Historic Education Center in the AHEC. It's right off of 81. So they can't even get basic facts right. You know, the media does not care to let the facts get in the way of a good story. Gettysburg is you know, right down the street from me, right down the street from War College. It's, it's all a distraction. Pennsylvania, we, we got to stop playing the games. And that's why I don't even you know, answer fools. You know, that, that, you know, what about this or that? Are you kidding me? I mean, our nation is, is, is collapsing economically. Our state people are choosing between heating their homes and eating, you know, heating or eating or putting gas in the car or buying medicine. And, you know, my, my opponent, the attorney general, has been part of the defund the police crowd. He's been part of the Antifa. He's, you know, it's, you know supporters, BLM. I'm not saying he's a member, but he's backed by that, that, that posse. Uh, this explains why. You know, I know uh, Fetterman running for Senate against Oz is getting a lot of attention. You know, all those criminals that released, Shapiro is also on the pardons board. He he released, he asked for 53 people to be released from, you know, uh, life sentences and what have you. Uh, instead of doing his job and protecting people in Philadelphia, we have a drug crisis in our state. We have, we're the fourth highest in the nation in deaths. Uh, instead of doing his job, he actually sued the people of Pennsylvania to keep your kids in mass. He, he actually fought hard for the right for boys to go in the girls' bathroom. And he was uh, not happy that he prevailed in Pennsylvania, imposing his radical yep. view on our state. But he also fought against the people of Virginia with an amicus. And this time last year, a 15-year-old girl was raped in Loudoun County. The school board tried to cover it up. The dad was a little upset at a board meeting. He was hauled out in handcuffs. In my world, that school board should have been hauled out in handcuffs because they violated, by their lies and deceit, they enabled somebody from hurting a little girl. That ends on day one of my administration, by the way. No more boys in the girls' bathroom. I'm going to defend women athletes from being dominated by men. And Josh Shapiro wants boys on the girls' team. I mean, this guy is just, just through the, this is why we're going to win. Greg, the Democrats had a two million registration advantage in Pennsylvania until just a couple years ago. Now we're within 400,000, and this is going to be a red state. Under Mastriano, we're going to make this state a little bit like Florida, I think. I can feel it. I think it's going to happen for you, um, Colonel, and uh, good luck. Keep in touch. Doug Mastriano, the Republican nominee for governor. Uh, Good luck, sir. Many thanks. Thank you. God bless you. All right. We'll be right back. (laughs) Well, this is the new way of life here in New York City. Uh, Some creep following you, jumping you, taking your cell phone and wallet. It can happen. It can happen. It's happening everywhere. Crime is out of control. Yet we have a governor who is oblivious and totally content in her cocoon of security. I'll never get over this. Look at all of the people protecting her. Local cops, state cops, uh, federal cops, everybody. Well, that may change. That may change real soon. Take a look at this poll. Lee Zeldin is just four points behind Kathy Hochul. Uh, She became governor after Andrew Cuomo had to step down. This is an overwhelmingly Democrat state. Zeldin is the Republican. This could be amazing because not since 1995 has a Republican 
tossed out an incumbent Democrat in New York State. It could happen. Zeldin has wisely teamed up with an ex-cop, uh, veteran New York City police officer Allison Esposito. She is a Republican candidate for lieutenant governor, and she joins us now. Welcome back, Allison Esposito. How are you? Are you getting excited because you guys could do this thing? Hey, Greg, thanks so much for having me on the show again. I'm excited we are going to do this thing. The, uh, the, the gap is closing. People are excited. They are excited to get out and vote for the change that New York State needs. Right now, on November 8th, freedom, public safety, and security are on the ballot, and New Yorkers know it. All right. Hey, do me a favor. I want to see that picture with you and Zeldin again. Um, you did. Re what, what is the occasion here? Because you're not you're you're wearing the uniform. Uh, when was this? Because you're you're a retired cop now. You can't you can't run for lieutenant governor now. What was this occasion here? So that was my walkout. That was a ceremony that uh, the department, my officers gave to me. It was my last official day in uniform. Uh, it was uh, the day before I dropped the, the the official papers were dropped and I signed off on becoming a civilian. Yeah, uh, it was right after the primary and it was a ceremony honoring my almost 25 years of service with the New York City Police Department. Day one, you guys are going to I know fire Alvin Bragg. Tell us a little bit about this character and how are you going to get him out? And uh, how's that all going to get down? He is the radical, crazy, I don't want to prosecute anybody, district attorney for New York County, Manhattan. So we have a very busy day one, sir. Uh, yes, it is not only in the New York Constitution that the governor has the ability to replace and remove a district attorney that's not doing his job. It is the governor's duty to do so. Alvin Bragg is a dangerous and reckless district attorney who has failed to uphold his oath of office in refusing to prosecute crime. Now, on day one, Congressman Zeldin and I, or then Governor Zeldin and I, will turn to Alvin Bragg and say, you are fired. And that will send a shockwave through the rest of the state in any district attorney in any of the 62 counties that decides that they want to pick and choose which laws they believe should be prosecuted and which laws they don't. Now, if they want to change the law, I invite them to join our legislative branch and work on changing the laws. But a district attorney's responsibility is to prosecute crimes, the laws on the books, and he is failing. So the governor has an absolute duty to remove him, and we will do that day one. Hey, I want to show you your um, your opponent, the governor, Kathy Hochul, at uh, here she is making a false promise. Shocking. And the promise I make to all New Yorkers right here and right now, I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Now, I'm not supposed to advise campaigns and I'm not endorsing anybody, but but that seems like dynamite footage because she is ducking and weaving and dodging a debate. I think she wants to debate you on Channel uh, 4008, uh, like uh, Monday morning at 4 a.m. Uh, the day before Election Day. Right. <laughs> how do you draw how do you draw her out? How do you draw her out? Governor Hochul has no leadership, and she doesn't know how to fight like hell for New Yorkers. Fighting like hell for New Yorkers would mean that she would show the leadership to demand a special session and repeal these dangerous and reckless laws that are emboldening criminals and putting victims last. 
we are failing to hold criminals accountable for their actions. And of course, she's refusing to debate Congressman Zeldin. She's on the wrong side of every issue. She debates Congressman Zeldin. New York is going to see that plain, clear as day that she is on the wrong side of every issue. Yeah. And she is not able to stand for the good, decent, hardworking New Yorkers. Of course, Allison. The fighter, and he's going to do this. I want to see your boss, your potential boss, uh, your running mate, Lee Zeldin, talking about the issues real quick. Let's see what he, he looks like and sounds like. And uh, I think he's going to be the top guy. Go ahead. Kathy Hochul is out trying to crawl across the finish line. She's trying to survive this election. I'm working as hard as I possibly can to do my part to save the state. Kathy Hochul's barely working to try to save Kathy Hochul. <laughs> I like that. I like that. You think you're going to work well together? I mean, um, and how'd you meet him? How do you how do you become tapped to be the lieutenant governor candidate? How did that go down real quick? If you don't Look, mind. I think we make a hell of a team. Uh, he's definitely a fighter. He's a leader. And I'm honored to be by his side. How did this happen? Kismet. Fortune, fortune uh, shined on us. And I worked for 25 years in the New York City Police Department. I, I, I definitely put my heart and soul into to making the communities that I served better. And I worked with some of the members of the Republican Party ah. in the, to that end. And All right. They introduced us. We hit it off. And, you know, he's a fighter, and I'll fight like hell right by his side. All right. Allison Esposito, good luck. I hope you like Albany. I have a feeling you're going there. Stay in touch. We'll be right back. This Saturday night in Corpus Christi, Texas, there will be a Trump rally, which Newsmax will carry live. You can learn more in 90 minutes of a Trump rally than in a year of watching the fake news. They're very entertaining, very informative. I highly recommend them. I know you don't need any convincing from me, of course. So can I show you something? My daughter, she's growing up. She's dancing. She's running all over the place. And here she is. Uh, Dancing to, I think, London Bridge is falling down. She, she's going to get the beat here in a moment. That's a new bed, by the way, that we put in a room. So uh, hence the lack of bedding. But anyway, she's great. She's Annalise. She's almost three, and I'm so proud of her. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.